For December Gold, we had the basis falling and the co-basis rising like that, which is a bit unusual for, for when, when the contract month expires. Um, today, it continued, it extended the move. So this would be an extremely bullish sign for the nominal price of gold. Um, what we saw in other months, February, April, and December 2012, I mean, it's nowhere near this kind of extreme, but we did see uh, the co-basis rising and the basis falling. So this, this is a very unusual feature, and I don't really know what it means. If February were to be sucked into backwardation, then we would be in a situation like we had in December 2008. At the moment, February is in no danger of going into backwardation, but if it made a rapid move, you know, who, who knows what could happen. Anyway, I just figured I'd mention that. Uh, in terms December of the price, in terms of the price, uh, could you connect it because there was some dramatic uh, change in the price too? Yes, yeah, so, so uh, was it contemporaneous with that, or uh, they yes. happened? Yeah, so gold was sixteen seventy three days ago, and now it's seventeen forty seven. Seventeen forty seven. So that's a significant move for somebody who bought at sixteen eighty or sixteen seventy. Um, but with this continuing like this. The price could shoot up like a rocket, potentially. Sandy, could you comment on this, please? Yeah, I mean, um, for the gold basis patrons in the room, which I know there are a few here, uh, this is what was expected from last Thursday's uh, missive, where I said that within 10 working days, I expect gold to go into backwardation. Um, we are within 10 working days from last Thursday, so it looks like it's all set for uh, fireworks into the, uh, into the end of the year. Steve, would you like to enlarge upon that? <coughs> Sorry? Would you like to enlarge upon that? When you well, say fireworks, do you expect this to be? Well, fireworks in the sense that well, I don't expect it to go to $5,000. No, no, but, no. Uh, <laughs> but $100 well, uh, is quite significant. Not really. Uh, maybe more than that. I mean, hundred dollars at least, I'd say. Uh, hundred dollars from here, or hundred dollars from 1680? From here. I don't know, but it's likely to go up. So uh, until it, until the basis says that it's not going to go up. So um, that's what one can do. That's what one. You can't say the extent. No, no, no. To how far. Okay. Good morning, everybody. Let's. <laughs> Good Let's get uh, back to the symposium um, and the lecture this morning. Gold bonds, right? Yeah. Professor Fekete again, <laughs> day four. Gold bonds to the rescue. <laughs> I'm looking forward to this, Professor. Yes, it is exciting what happened today, but there has been many days in the past where the gold price has had similar action. And then dropped again. So anything can happen with the gold price. Let's try not to focus too much on the price. Right, Professor? Let's fo focus on fundamentals. Thank you. <laughs> Over to you. Um, good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, welcome you to this uh, important 
the lecture. Uh, why I say it's important, I do because I am now referring to the future more than I'm referring to the past. The uh, world is in a very sad situation right now, financially, and as far as the money is concerned, and uh, the picture is most pessimistic. So we are trying to change that picture. Change just a little because it's not in our hands, it's in the hands of the authority, and I'm very sorry to say that I can only ha say bad things about them, what they have done uh, since the crisis uh, broke, and uh, they have been just digging the world into a deeper hole. So we are much worse off today than we were in 2007, 2008, when the crisis broke. Um, the, reason, the reason is that uh, the world has entrusted the chicken coop to the fox. These guys in charge, they are the fox. And the rest of us are the chicken. We are helpless. They do what they please if they want to, as uh, Jefferson said, and somebody quoted it, was it you? Yes. Uh, that uh, if the American people will ever be so foolish as to entrust the uh, creation of money to the bankers, then the bankers will boost the money by printing it in, through inflation and then do the opposite and this will of course impoverish the people until one sunny day or one day they wake up and find that they have lost the house and the land which their ancestors won for them. So that's what is going. It's a, a literal realization of the uh, prediction of President uh, Jefferson. So there's very little we can do about it, but at least we can analyze what the situation is. So I am addressing the question, how to find a way out of the world's present debt and currency crisis. I start about describing the bond, <clears throat> especially the US Treasury bonds or any other Treasury security, as irredeemable. Now, of course, uh, a lot of people would argue that it's not irredeemable because at maturity, uh, even if you would pocket losses if you sold the bond today because it's trading at a discount, but if you kept the bond to maturity, then uh, you will get exactly <laughs> the face value. 
which is a very foolish arg- argument because we all know that the value of the money has changed and it's changed for the worse. In, uh, take a 30-year bond and uh, maturing today, just calculate. You get exactly the same number of dollars as the face value which cost you if you bought it 30 years ago. But the value, I mean, no, no more comment on that. So um, I, I stick to my guns, yes. These bonds are irredeemable. Why? Because they are paid at maturity in irredeemable currency. Now, by what stretch of imagination could you call a bond redeemable if it is redeemed in irredeemable <laughs> currency? It's contradiction in terms. It's just a stupid game of uh, with the uh, play with the words. Technically, it may be irredeemable, but it, in principle, it is not. It's every, it is everything but irredeemable. So, uh, time have long passed when people bought these bonds, U.S. Treasury bonds and other government bonds. I remember especially the Scandinavian countries issued bonds which were the uh, standard of government honesty, and, and I mean that not in a bad sense, but in a good sense, because the uh, Scandinavian governments were the only ones, neither the British nor the American and uh, the others, had a guarantee, a very special guarantee, and this is what the uh, Scandinavian bonds said. They said that if the rate of interest during the life of this bond should increase for any reason whatsoever, then the government makes a solemn promise to refinance the whole issue. Now, just recall from yesterday and the day before, I think I also mentioned that, that the seesaw, if the rate of interest goes up, the value of the government goes down, even if it's an excellent bond. I mean, this uh, is not a judgment on the quality or bonity, as they used to call it, the bonity of the bond, but it is one of those mathematical rules, rigid rules, which govern the financial uh, world and uh, world and transactions. So, as the rate of interest goes on for any reason, then bondholders suffer a loss, and the Scandinavian governments made, we are talking about uh, pre-World War One. they made a promise, a solemn promise, to compensate the bondholders against that loss. And technically it took a, it's a huge operation and expensive and all that, but the government did promise 
to refinance the whole issue in order to uh, relieve the bondholder from any loss. They didn't quote the Bible, but what's behind is the uh, the uh, biblical uh, biblical uh, shall we say curse? Okay, on those who who uh, shortchange <coughs> widows and orphans. I can't give you chapter, verse and chapter quotation, but it's in the Bible. And it's, it's common knowledge uh, that the Bible would curse those who uh, contribute to the misery of widows and orphans. Because widows and orphans are really helpless. They lost the breadwinner and lost a beloved one, so they are uh, really suffering. If somebody from the outside comes and puts them in an even worse position, this is uh, one of the sins which cry to heaven for punishment. So, uh, why do I say that? I say that because Next to holding gold, the most, uh, the safest instrument which you could use were government bonds, especially Scandinavian with this promise of refinancing. And uh, uh, of course gold was in a way worse than this because gold didn't give income to the holders, whereas uh, widows and orphans needed an income to survive and the orphans wanted education and so on. And, and therefore, this is what happened to them. If they have uh, government bonds, especially Scandinavian, Manger does make a point somewhere uh, that uh, he, whenever he says that the gold bonds, government-issued gold bonds, were uh, a reasonable investment, he always added that Scandinavians, and that's the reason, because Scandinavian bonds had an extra guarantee, again, protecting the bondholders against an increase in, in the rate of interest. So... Uh, you might ask the question, under the circumstances we live today, by what reason of logic would anybody buy a bond when it's a guaranteed cert a certificate of guaranteed confiscation? These words uh, originated with Dr. Franz Pick was been dead for several decades, but he was one of the outspoken critiques of government finance and the bond market and all that. He said that a bond, especially a government bond, is nothing but a certificate of guaranteed confiscation. So why anybody in his right mind would invest 
in bonds or in government bonds today. When we live in a topsy-turvy world, so different, and sometimes the meaning of words we use is exactly the opposite what it was meant to be or used to be. And uh, here you are, people are still bu buying bonds and the bond is losing value year in year out, yet the demand for them increases. What kind of tortured logic would... Be? Well, there is an answer to that question. Perhaps uh, some of you could uh, say what it is. Well, I'll tell you if, if you don't volunteer to. Uh, it, it may not come as a surprise to you, but obviously nobody in his right mind who wants to save would buy them. Who buys them? Well, uh, bond speculators buy them because bonds, government bonds, and don't, please don't look for this uh, in any economic textbook because you won't find it there. But if you have heard it from me, then for the first time then you may remember that you heard it from, uh, from this, at this symposium. What happens is that in actual fact, when you trade bonds, let's say U.S. government, treasury bonds, if, if you trade them and you know how to trade them, then your profits are actually risk-free. Now, you know, of course, that speculation is not, is everything but risk-free. Uh, the speculator, uh, whether it is commodities or bonds or even real estate, when they speculate, they are very much aware that they are taking a risk. Their secret is that they take lots of risks, not just one, no <laughs> true-blooded uh, speculation would just gamble with one instrument. That, that would be absolutely unheard of. But lots of stakes, and what he is making sure is that all the losses are small and the few gains where the uh, risk turns out to be profitable at the end will be large. So that's the secret of it. If you can make it sure, uh, no speculator exists who can claim that he has never taken a loss. All of them did, and they do, and they will continue doing in the future. The difference is that they control their uh, risks in such a way that whatever losses they'll eventually have to take will stay small and the gains will be uh, high. So on balance, they'll come out ahead. Now. But still, there is risk. Big or small, but there are risks. And if you analyze them well, you are ahead of those who cannot analyze these risks so well. But the point is this. 
when you know how to trade U.S. Treasury bonds, then you can reduce this risk to zero, or virtually to zero. So whereas in commodities, in real estate, in share prices, the risk of speculation is uh, unpredictable, and I am always rather doubtful when somebody claims that he can analyze those risks. Well, I don't know. I have studied them myself, like Elliott Wave, and the various technical analysis, uh, uh, moving averages where they cross, where they do this, where they do that. And I did that as a mathematician and also with some understanding of the investment principles. I am still dubious that there is such a thing as a an analysis in the scientific sense of those risks, with one exception. And this one exception is the <laughs> risks you take when you buy U.S. treasuries. And I give you immediately my uh, explanation why I, I claim that this is true. And. Uh, of course, I have to qualify this, that this is understood under our present monetary system. Uh, it uh, was not true uh, under different assumptions, but under our present monetary system, the way, the legal way for the central bank, in this case Federal Reserve System, creates and injects money into the uh, monetary bloodstream is to go out to the open market and buy the U.S. government bonds and pay for it with money created for the purpose ad hoc. I don't like uh, when somebody says money created out of nothing. No, the Fed doesn't do that. Well, um, in the scenario I'm talking about, quantitative easing is another cup of tea. But I'm talking about now normal open market operations of the Fed, which uh, do not involve quantitative easing. What the Fed does is creates the money for the purpose of using it to buy securities, which then uh, the Fed has to put into its portfolio. So that's not money creating out of nothing. This is um, a normal commercial transaction. A bank has to have investments and uh, puts its credit out, and those who use the credit uh, will uh, then have a bank reserve backing it up. So going back to uh, the risk-free nature of speculation, of bond speculation under our present monetary system is very, very simple. All the bond speculator has to do is to Preempt, preempt the Fed. 
So the Fed is very often even advertising that their schedule is calling for buying so many billions or hundreds of billions of treasury securities on such and such a day. So all the speculator has to do is to read that in the newspaper and then buy one day before the Fed buys. The Fed tells you by December the 1st. So if they bought yesterday, November the 30th, then they can turn around in 24 hours and dump the same bonds in the lap, into the lap of the Fed. That's all. Now, it may be small profit, but they, they can do it in, in hundreds of billions because the Fed also tells you in advance, not just the date when they are going to do this, but they also tell you how much they are going to buy. So it's, you have the perfect information. It's just a matter of you acting on this. Now, you as an individual cannot act on it because the uh, U.S. Treasury has these so-called primary buyers. So whenever a new Treasury issue comes out, then uh, the primary buyers. But of course, in the open market, which is, you see, there is primary uh, market for Treasury bonds, and there is the open market. The primary market means that the treasury has a fresh issue and everybody knows how much and what coupon rate and so on, but then it's a bidding. But the bid, you, uh, bidding is by invitation only, so that uh, you and I are not welcome at this bidding, not as if we could afford, but even if we could afford it, it's selected uh, people. Like two names, I ask you to mention two names of those uh, uh, those favored people who are welcome at these auctions. Goldman Sachs. Ah, and the other. Well, there you are. But there are more. I don't know. But it's it's not dozens. It's it's less than one dozen. I think it's nine, but I'm not sure. The point is that. Uh, these guys uh, have a special privilege, which you and I don't have. But uh, uh, when it comes to open market operations, this is the so-called secondary market, not the primary, when you buy directly from the treasury. And uh, what you do is you go to the secondary market, which is the uh, market for the bonds already outstanding and trading, and then the Fed, as it announced earlier, will buy a certain amount. And if you preempted pre the Fed, then you can pocket uh, risk-free profit. <coughs> now, ladies and gentlemen, risk-free profits are a contradiction in terms. Why? Because uh, the world is large. There are lots of people and lots of them are very smart. And the smartest of the lot are not the Nobel Prize winner economists or uh, uh, peace, Nobel Peace Prize winners. These are not the smartest. The smartest are the speculators. They 
they risk their own capital. Uh, I mean, the traders, the F Federal Reserve uses, or the Bank of England, and they all hire people to do the trading for them. They don't risk their own capital. If they lose, well, that will be replenished, uh, and they can go back and continue losing. As, uh, of course, for example, the Bank of England was very notorious when George Soros. Uh, uh, he boasted that he has single-handedly uh, uh, broke the Bank of England. Uh, I forget the year, but he... 90 or 91? Something like that. He bet against the British pound. And uh, he won billions, billions, huge amounts. And then he had the... Ch rather than keeping it to himself and enjoying how sm smart a guy he was, he went out and wrote a book and boasted, I broke the Bank of England, and then he described what he did and how he did it, you see. And that wasn't the first uh, instance when somebody broke the Bank of England, because uh, the whole floating system, when, when the government destabilizes foreign exchange rates on the one hand and this, uh, destabilizes interest rates on the other hand, then it's uh, free for all. Uh, the smartest guy can do this break. And that's why another, uh, this is another argument in favor of the gold standard that uh, as far as humanly possible the uh, uh, foreign exchange rates should be stable and even more importantly interest rates should be stable which is another way of saying the bond prices should not vary too much because if they do that invites all the talent and we have lots of talent in this world as I said not among Nobel Prize winner economists or Peace Prize or whatever, but among the bond speculators. All this talent, and some of them may be excellent engineers and so on, they'll give up their profession and they will go where the free money is. That's the nature of the thing, you see. I mean, we as human beings are born that even if we love to do that, but another profession will give us a chance to uh, earn greater rewards, we'll give up uh, the, uh, our favorite profession and go to the one which is more rewarding. This happens all the time. Now, saints, and hermits, and others may be an exception, but they don't, uh, they are not part of the driving force of uh, society. Uh, they are on the fringes and they may be dying out because they <laughs> do not uh, beget children so their breed is fast vanishing from the soul. But uh, that's the thing. Risk-free profit is a contradiction in term because if it ever occurs these very very smart people and I am not saying smart in a pejorative sense because I admire them sometimes I even envy them uh, and I have to give them credit because they 
see the world differently and that's the way to see the world. And it's not being taught in school, may, it may not be possible to teach these skills in schools, but the point is that they are watching like a hawk and if ever a risk-free opportunity arises anywhere, before you think or blink an eye, they'll be there and act on it, and by acting on it, they abolish the thing, the risk-free, uh, the existence of the risk-free profit. So that's why it's contradiction. Yet, we today have a system which keeps regenerating these risk-free opportunities because they announce uh, an auction for bonds, risk-free profits are, of course, uh, creamed off by the spectrum. And uh, no sooner uh, the auction is over, they, they announce the next one and the next one. And we know why, because the government cannot balance its uh, budget in any other way. But each keep issuing more bonds. So even, even Alan Greenspan, Greenspan said that he doesn't understand what's going on. Because interest rates should go up and they don't. Uh, he probably pretended he understood very well what was going on. <laughs> what was going on is very simple. And uh, the, uh, the, uh, the uh, supply of treasury bonds is infinite. That's an axiom. We know that's the kind of government we have. And then it, you have to balance it with uh, demand. Supply is infinite, but the demand, you may think, is not infinite. And I'm going out and say to you that it is infinite because of the, uh, the invitation to the bond speculators come and buy the bonds. Doesn't matter how poor an invest investment uh, it looks, you just buy it today and turn around and tomorrow sell it to the central bank, the Federal Reserve, at a profit. You see? So that's the situation. It's a rotten system. It's a rotten system which goes against nature, it goes against morale, uh, ethics, everything what kept the world improving, coming out of the Stone Age and going through a very violent history full of wars and pestilence and what have you. And we reached a certain level. Now we have the rottenness inside, which used to be outside and we could all join forces and fight against it, now it's inside. And when it's inside, you, 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 you are helpless, you cannot fight it. So this is what is happening. Now, what we still have, and uh, the question is, how can this be cured? Uh, it, it may be a big leap of faith to accept what I'm saying, but I say that it can be resolved 
it can be cured, we can go to back to a system, and we already uh, talked about the gold standard and the bill market, real bills, being the two major legs uh, on which you can st start uh, a decent uh, monetary system. But now we can go one step further and say that what is necessary is the gold bond. That the debt, which we all know is huge, and some people even say that it's, it is past the point that it can ever be repaid by no stretch of imagination, by no calculus can these huge amounts ever be repaid. So it's at the stage of self-destruction when the government of the United States has to borrow money to pay interest on its previous, that this is a sure uh, sign uh, that the, no, the point of no return has been reached and passed. However, this leaves something very important out of calculation, this judgment, a very gloomy judgment, because actually the situation is a little better. And it's better because there is a huge difference between irredeemable bond, which I talked about when I started this talk this morning, and gold bond. There's a, a big difference. Uh, just as I mentioned on the first day that uh, there is a difference between gold sitting in a vault and gold on the go. Gold sitting in a vault is value, but it's a limited value and it's accruing, the value accrues to the owner exclusively. Now, gold on the go, believe it or not, is an unlimited value and it accrues to society at large. And only the bad guy is afraid of gold on the go. The a real bad guy who, who is a sworn enemy of society. Because the comparison which I used was take one acre of land and put it into co uh, cultivation. <coughs> and that's like gold on the go. And it's worth 10 acres of land, same high quality, fertile land, but left fallow. That's a, it's a valid, valid comparison. And this is what the economists, mainstream economists, ignore today. That there is a big difference between gold sitting in a vault, and you can criticize that it's uh, barren, it's uh, antisocial to hold, and all kinds of scorn you can heap on gold locked up. 
there is some truth in it, there is some exaggeration, it's a mixture, mixed bag, but nobody can deny that gold on the go is unlimited, because I tell you why, because the amount of credit which is carried or can be carried by gold on the go is unlimited because it, it is limited only by the physical factors which will not allow, allow gold to move fast enough. But we have seen all kinds of speed records broken and we are very far from the speed of light. But even if confidence is there, you can ship gold with the speed of light through uh, telecommunication. Now there has to be confidence because obviously if you hold so much gold in New Zealand and so much gold in New York and you want to ship uh, gold in one or the other direction, then you can uh, come up with a clearinghouse which will make instant payments. As soon as the message arrives, then the payment is made. But let, let's not go that far. Let's just say that gold has to be, be delivered physically. So it can be carried in a wheelbarrow, it can be carried in a horse-driven uh, 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 carriage, it can be carried uh, by uh, automobile, by trains, uh, ships, transoceanic ships, uh, cargo jet planes, you know, the tremendous improvement in efficiency and the f faster gold moves from one center to another, the greater amount of credit it can carry. And uh, also it can discharge or uh, extinguish existing debt at a faster rate. But ladies and gentlemen, this is our axiom that there is no limit on the amount of uh, debt that gold uh, can ex extinguish. Because if you introduce, it may not be physical speed in this sense, but it could be just another improvement in the clearing system. And let me not go into this, but bills can be more or less marketable. And if you improve their marketability, and that's subject to human, uh, uh, human uh, ingenuity, then you have increased the amount of uh, credit which gold can carry. So that is the fact, and that is the f and, and gold is quite unique in that. Silver hasn't been tested the same way as gold has, that it can actually carry um, uh, a great deal of credit, and there is no known limit to the amount which it can. So that's the thing. A gold bond is a fantastic uh, monetary or financial instrument. It can literally uh, work miracles. Gold bond. As, <laughs> so <laughs> it's the same word we use for irredeemable bond 
and gold one, but it's like night and day, heaven and hell. That's the kind of uh, relationship. And uh, and so I am a great advocate of a monetary reform which is still available to the world today in spite of the unprecedented uh, monetary and fi fiscal crisis we are in. It looks like a quagmire, no escape. But I think the gold bond would have that power to pull them. Why? Well, one part I already explained, because gold bonds, uh, there's no limit. I mean, uh, obviously, even the U.S. government cannot issue an uh, unlimited amount of uh, bonds, because in spite of what I have said, that uh, the gold speculators, I mean the bond speculators, I stand ready to gobble them up, regardless of the quantity, <laughs> but that's for the time being. Nobody knows when the music will stop, and then the bond speculators will say, that's enough now, I, I take my winnings, and quit, at least stand on the sides to see how it goes, because from now on it, it's, it's just not going to work. I mean, even the most optimistic bond speculator would, would be cautious to the extent that uh, they, there is a limit to them. But as I say, when it's you build credit on gold, sound credit, it is no limit. You can keep going. Okay, but then there are other reasons why a gold bond is such a miracle instrument. Professor Ross, you take a drink. I would, I would argue that the uh, move of speculators out has already started with people like Bill Ross getting out of U.S. Treasury ownership. Well, you believe what he says? I mean, you know, he might be false carding. I don't know. I don't know. And, and Him I, personally may not be, but I mean, as far as his funds are concerned. You know. hmm. I, I don't know this really decides the issue. Because how many Bill Grosses do we have? Quite a few. <laughs> no, I don't, but anyhow. I, I don't think that this would be a fertile ground for discussion. Basically because we don't have access to information. These guys uh, are number one false carding, keep their cards very close to their chest, and so on. But here is the thing what I was going to say. Gold bonds could extend the maturity of the debt a great deal. Now, one big problem with that as it exists today in the world is the structure 
the time structure, the maturity structure, because over the past, say, 50 years, this maturity structure has been constantly shrinking. Only occasionally was there a minor increase, but very soon it disappeared too. So we have a shrinking maturity structure of the paper that kind of that. We have a shrinking maturity structure for the irredeemable bonds, in spite of the fact that speculators are ready to gobble up whatever the government decides to throw out to them uh, to uh, keep up the gambling spirit. The uh, maturity structure is still shrinking. I mean, you can uh, check this out. There are several government websites which publish these statistics. You may have to do a little bit of side calculation because they don't want to give you the bottom line. That yesterday it was whatever, say, four years and three months, and this year it's four years and one month and the projection for the next following year may be less than four years, maybe three years, and so on. And it keeps shrinking, whereas it was uh, half a century ago, it was probably in the, in the order of 20 years, now it has gone down to less than four years. Uh, I'm just <coughs> picking these figures from the top of my head. I, uh, you have to look it up and do the little missing calculation and then you will see the picture. They are not, not advertising that information, I can tell you that. But uh, the uh, basic facts are out there in the public domain and, and you could uh, check them. So, uh, if you can refinance that maturing in three years, to 30 years, 10 times as long, uh, it would solve, not 100%, but maybe 90% of the problem. Because you have, you have 27 years to, uh, what's the word, to measure up, to uh, cut off fat and, and uh, you know, uh, you don't even have to go to austerity. It's an extreme. Because you have 27 years. And you just do a little bit every year and do it in, in, a, in a reasoned way, in a sensible way. And then you have reestablished the uh, proper monetary and fiscal system with which uh, everybody can live. Even the pension funds can live. You see, I just imagine what those pension funds are doing uh, with zero interest uh, revenues. What, uh, how will they pay, pay the pension a couple of years from now if their uh, revenue is practically zero? 